Well, welcome back to the Walk as Jesus Walk podcast series. And in today's message, we're going to focus on what truly defines our ministry for those of us who are in Christ. Now, there's a lot of definitions out there of what ministry is or what ministry is not. Many, many ways to answer what defines our ministry. A pastor might say, my ministry is to win people to Christ. Uh, and to grow my church. And a deacon might say, my ministry is to care for people. Sunday school teacher might say, hey, my ministry is to help children understand the Bible. While a mother will say, my ministry is to help my children grow up to maturity and become a contributing member of society. However, do these roles define a person's ministry? Or are these tasks that we take on as responsibilities? What if a pastor no longer has a church? grow? Well, what if deacons no longer have people to care for? Or Sunday schools um, no longer have students or children, so a Sunday school teacher no longer can serve in that capacity? Or mothers have raised their children, they've grown up, and now they no longer are going to serve in the capacity of growing up children. Do these people no longer have a ministry? Well, they'll probably go and find something else to do, and that will become what they'll call their ministry. Well, unlike what most people believe, our lives are not defined by our ministry. On the contrary, our ministry is a reflection of, and it's defined by our lives in Christ. So therefore, in hindsight, we can look back and we can say how the Lord used us, and that was our ministry. But for us to select something or choose something, well, that's that's really a religious notion. Religious-minded people, they've always used terms like going into the ministry or this is my ministry. And why have they done that? Well, the short answer is they're not living spirit-led lives because it's the Holy Spirit that leads us in our daily lives. And when we look back and see what our ministry has been in life, it's because of what the Spirit has done in our lives. Instead, they follow traditional man-made systems that really separate congregations into two distinct groups of people. They are either those who lead the flock, or they're simply those who follow who are the flock. Regrettably, this is how all worldly businesses run, and nothing like how Jesus leads his servants when it comes to doing his will. So ministry within the institutionalized church system it's purposefully patterned after worldly business practices because it works. In truth, eventually, they've all become business. This causes a great need to fill needed positions to ensure that the business runs properly and won't collapse. Now, the system, it needs leaders and followers to fill many different roles in the organization to help it to continue to, to thrive. Now, these roles called ministry positions are going to be filled from within. The expectation is that these organizations, in order to run properly, have these important positions, and they will be filled from within of their congregation of either elected officials or volunteering members. That's typically where you're going to get your positions filled, whether it's a, a deacon or a pastor or a senior pastor or a teacher, 
um, or a worship leader or people to greet people at the door. I mean, and there are so many different ministry roles, as they're called, in the institutionalized church. No different than a business where everybody has a role to play. At times, these organizations actually need to outsource to meet their needs. We don't have enough people. Maybe our worship leader quit. And so now we have to go and get somebody else to fill in until we can fill that gap. No different than what a business does. But these businesses, they will always find a way to, to go on. The show must go on regardless of the challenges. So just like any business, there are times of need when now they're going to have to lean or put pressure on the members of the organization. And why? Well, because things need to be corrected. Like, for instance, they might not have enough finances, and so they start pressuring their congregation to give more. They need to fill leadership positions, so they're going to pressure people to volunteer or step up. And they need those behind-the-scenes support positions filled, so they're going to look for the congregation to volunteer to do those jobs. Well, consequently, these organizations, they end up defining the, these different duties as ministry positions. And really, they're seeking for these people to step up based on giving their time, their talents, and or resources to bless and help others within their organization. It's like any societal organization, but they put the name of Christ on it and, and they have rules to follow. And they've done a good job with that, but to call it ministry. Now, that's where a line is drawn between how Christ operates and how the church operates. And I'm not talking about his body. I'm talking about the organized church system. The stance of the church member as ministers, it should always be, someone's got to do it. It might as well be me. It's also common that it will be told, hey, you know what? The benefit of working in these ministry positions is that you'll find great joy and fulfillment by serving others. Well, that's probably true. I did that when I was a Boy Scout. I did that in many different positions, just a member of the community. And you do have great fulfillment, and uh, there's an altruistic type of um, feeling that you get from helping other people. However, is this what one's ministry looks like while they're serving the kingdom of heaven? This is what their ministry would look like serving in a church, yes. But how about serving in the kingdom of heaven? Looking back years ago, I personally experienced what I've been talking about several times within the organized church system. So, for instance, one time, no one would volunteer to drive the summer Bible school program bus. I didn't have a bus license. But you know what? No one would volunteer, and my kids were going to be participants. So what did I do? Out of duty, I stepped up because someone had to do it. Another time, uh, the fifth grade Sunday school teacher had moved away. No one volunteered to step up. Now, of course, at this point, I didn't have a fifth grader, but I knew it had to be done. So I took on the responsibility, and I did it. Why? Well, because the gap needed to be filled. I was a good company man. And I also found that I could kind of humbly boast about my ministry work. Well, the truth is that the Lord calls and he chooses. He calls and he chooses each member of his body, which is the church, to be ministers, ministers of his new covenant, not of a business or an organization, ministers of his 
new covenant. Now, in this covenant, which is solely based on faith in Christ alone, not a business, in faith in Christ alone, we are called to follow him, Jesus, as his spirit leads us. This means that Jesus leads and those who are in Christ follow, period. Jesus is the leader. We don't have to pick and choose who our leaders are. Jesus will dictate everything. And we simply need to follow him. We don't have to follow an organization. We don't have to follow a lot of rules. We just follow Jesus. Now, it is Christ who directs the members of his body. He's the one who directs them to serve in the capacity that he desires to fulfill what? His will. The will of we got to keep this organization going, and we need this, and we need that, and we need this, and we need that. So many people spend so much time, effort, money to go into keeping an organization run. They're so busy that they, they can't hear the Spirit asking them, hey, are you following Jesus? Are you allowing him to fulfill his desires according to his will? The actual New Testament Greek term that's found in the scriptures for ministry is the diakonos. And that word actually means a servant or the Greek word dulio, which is some call, sometimes called uh, doulos, which means to serve as a slave. Well, therefore, ministry based on this really becomes our service to God and to others as his spirit leads, because we become a servant. And remember, there are only two commandments that we have been told that we must do. First one, put God first. We become his servant. We put him first, not the needs of our local church. We put the needs that our God has first. And the second one is like the first, where we then become a slave or servant to others around us, to love others as you love yourself. That is the second commandment. That, in essence, is our ministry. But our ministry is defined even more deeply than that. First of all, Jesus demonstrated what it means to be a minister or a servant. He did this in John chapter 13, verses 4 through 17. During the, the Passover feast, before Jesus was actually tried, where he was taken out of the garden and tried and, and was crucified, that night during the Passover feast, Jesus got up from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and he wrapped a towel around his waist. Well, after that, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet and dry them with a towel that he wrapped around him. Oh, he got to Simon Peter and asked him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? This was absurd. This is the Lord. This is God's own son. And Peter knew that. Never, ever will you wash my feet, Peter said. He wasn't saying this out of disrespect. He was, in fact, saying it out of what he felt was respect. Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what, am I, what I am doing, but later you will understand. And Peter was emphatic. Never shall you wash my feet, he told Jesus. 
And Jesus said, you know what, Peter? Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Wow. So this has a deep spiritual significance to what Jesus was doing. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. He wasn't talking about the act of washing the dirt off of Peter's feet. He was actually talking about washing sin away. So think about this now. That was a tradition back then. It still is in some parts of the world. But back then, it was prevalent that you would take your yourself and clean up during the day. And then by the end of the day, after you were walking around and in your sandals, your feet were dirty, but the rest of you still was considered clean. And so at the end of each day, you would wash your feet and then you were clean. So then the Lord said, um, said Simon, uh, to, he said that to Simon Peter, that unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And well, Peter said, well, then not only my feet, wash my hands and my head as well. Well, Jesus told him, whoever has already bathed needs only to wash his feet. He wasn't talking about what I just explained, that they would wash up and bathe all day and then they had to wash their feet at night. He was talking about from a spiritual standpoint, freeing yourself of what makes you dirty, which is sin. He said that whoever's already bathed needs only to wash his feet and he will be completely clean. And you are clean, he said, though not all of you, for Jesus knew who was going to betray him. And that is why he said, not all of you are clean, because Judas Iscariot was in the group. And when Jesus had washed their feet, he put on his outer garments, and he reclined with them again, and he asked, do you know what I have done for you? And then the learning moment. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so because I am. So if I, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Now, this is a spiritual truth. If I forgave you of your sins, if I sought to serve you, then you should go to serve one another. He said, I am the Lord, and I still humbled myself in a position to serve you. Now, that is what we're talking about in ministry. Jesus said, I have set you an example so that you could do as I have done for you. Truly, truly, I tell you, no servant, no doulos, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And you know, Jesus was telling them because he was sending them if you know this, these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Another example that Jesus gave us um, in his teachings about servitude comes from Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 through 28. When Jesus called his disciples aside, he said, you know, that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their superiors exercise authority over them. So now he's talking about how um, many people, and this is, I mean, this is also in the organized church. People will be rulers. They'll lord over the congregation. So, and their superiors exercise authority over them. And then Jesus said, it shall not be this way among you. You will not have anyone lording over you. And Jesus was, except me, is what he was saying. It shall not be this way among you. Instead, 
Whoever wants to become great among you, don't become a leader. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. That's doulos, a slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And he gave his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is telling us that we are servants. This is our ministry. But really, what does that mean? What is our ministry? That's still too abstract. So we can tighten it up a bit by looking at what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. And he, being Jesus, has qualified us as ministers of a new covenant. Remember, Jesus ushered in the new covenant. We are ministers of the new covenant, not an old covenant, not a church religious way, not tradition, but a new covenant, which is not of the letter, but of the spirit, which is not of written rules, but is how the spirit leads. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Paul adds in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 21, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, truly in Christ, not, not a churchgoer, not somebody who claims to be a Christian and lives their life in this world and does follows certain guidelines to be good, but really isn't living their life for Jesus and not following him every, every day for sure. But those who are in Christ, those people, the few, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. You're no longer going to be like you used to be. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from where? From God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So God, through Jesus, reconciled those who are called and chosen through Christ to himself. And that is our ministry, to be part of this reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's trespasses against them. And he has committed to us, what? The message of reconciliation. That is the gospel. That is what we serve. That is our ministry. That we are used by the Lord in the harvest to help souls that are lost or live in darkness to be reconciled to the light and to God. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ be reconciled to God. God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that in him we might become what? The righteousness of God. There is no righteousness in mankind. I don't care how many duty ministries people try to jump into. It's not going to make them righteous. The only righteousness we have is Christ who lives within us the Spirit of God, and we have been made new, and the Spirit gives life. And once God lives within us, then we have the righteousness 
of God, not the righteousness of us, but the righteousness of God. Now, reconciliation is the work of God through Christ, by which he restores mankind to a favorable relationship with himself. That is our ministry, that we are to work as Jesus called us to in whatever capacity for reconciliation of souls that are lost to be reconciled to God through Christ, which he restores to a favorable relationship or favorable life with himself. We don't do this. We can't win souls. Only he can do this, but we can be part of his harvest. Ephesians 4, verses 4 through 7 tells us, there is one body, that's hensoma, one body, and one spirit, that's Jesus' spirit. Just as you were called the one hope, that's in the gospel, when you were called, the one Lord, which is Jesus, one faith, which is what we apply in him, one baptism, when we're placed into the body of Christ, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Now, each one of us, grace has been given according to what? The measure of the gift of Christ. So it's Christ who gives us anything that is anywhere close to being good. It doesn't come from us. And in Ephesians chapter 4, 11 through 16, we learn, and it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. Why? To equip the saints, those who are in Christ, for works of ministry, that's being a servant, to build up the body of Christ. Until, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, as we mature to the full measure of the stature of Christ. You want to walk as Jesus walked, then we need to find unity. We need to reach unity in the faith and therefore let God appoint people, not mankind elect people, select people, but we let God appoint people and we follow him and live for him and he will take care of the rest. And then we can start to grow and mature and supernaturally become more like Christ. Then it goes on in Ephesians. Then we will no longer be infants. Like so many people out there who have no clue, who don't have a clue what unity is. Every little church wants to be their own little entity. They're all these little kingdoms and none of them get along. Sometimes they get together for events but they really don't get along because otherwise everyone would be meeting in one place together collectively. But no, they have separation. Why? Because even those who are in Christ are as infants. They're tossed about by the waves and carried around by every wind of teaching, all these different doctrines, and by the clever cunning of men in their deceitful scheming. And this is church after church after church after church after church, and it goes on and on and on and on all around the world. Instead, Paul says, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into Christ himself, 
right. be a better, stronger organization that can grow the numbers and all of the things that these people are doing. But we will, in all things, grow up into Christ himself, who is the head. From him, the whole body, his body, the church, is fitted and held together by every supporting ligament, and it grows up and builds itself up in love through the work of each individual part. Many of these people who claim to be in Christ are not, and they're all doing their own little ministry work, as they call it, and there's chaos. It's not the body of Christ. It is an organization, and then each organization has its own entities. In 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 to 11, says, There are different gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. Everything that is done is by the Spirit. There are different ways of working, but the same God works all things in all people. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for what? The common good. The common good of all those who are in Christ. Not just for those who are in this organization or that organization, but the Spirit is given, the Spirit of God. Jesus' Spirit that lives within us is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom, to another the message of knowledge, and by the same Spirit to another faith, and the same Spirit to another gifts of and gifts of healing, that by the one Spirit to another working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in various tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. Yet all these are the work of one and the same Spirit who apportions them to each one as he determines. Not what we choose to do, not so we can define ourselves based on what we do. The Lord might have you do this today, but he might have you do that tomorrow. That's not up to you. What is that to you? It's God's work, not our work. Consequently, our lives as servants of the kingdom of heaven are not defined by any form of ministry duty that we can decide to sign up for or perform or what one thinks that they must do to be pleasing to God. That's just not it. On the contrary, our ministry is defined by how we live our lives for the Lord and how we yield our own will to allow the Lord to use us to serve him. Therefore, in the end, our ministry reflects the ways that the Lord uses our lives while we live out our lives for him. Thus, in closing, for those of us who are in Christ, truly in Christ, we must understand that it is Christ who chooses what we will do in the way of ministry as we serve his kingdom. And as we look back on our lives, we will see what our ministry in Christ has been shaped by the leading of the Holy Spirit of Jesus. Remember, our lives are not defined by our ministry. Instead, our ministry is defined by our lives in Christ. So, follow the leading of the Spirit of Jesus, just as he asked us to, told us to, to follow him. And in doing so, you then will be walking as Jesus walked.